Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. This morning we are uh, doing something slightly different for the sermon time, but uh, we're really thinking about the the post-Easter experience. So the theme that we're working with is Easter people. We're looking at the church uh, post-Easter, and we're thinking about the role of the institutional church in particular this morning. What is the role of the church? Uh, One of the things we know is that church is closed right now. The building is closed, but the church is open. I want you to know that I believe church matters. I believe it's a safe place to learn, to uh, connect, to share, to sing, to laugh, to dance, to grieve together. And being together is so important and we're really missing the fact that we can't do that right now. Because one of the first things Jesus did early in his ministry was he gathered a small group of disciples or followers who walked with him as he shared his stories, his parables, his teachings. And he recognized the importance of being together in community. And so that's what church ultimately is, is a gathering of people together to learn together. And so church really matters. So what do we do when we have to close churches, the building, uh, during a pandemic like this? It means we have to adapt. We have to change. We have to try different ways of connecting and that matters. We really miss you gathering in this place. We don't really like standing in a corner and talking to a blinking camera. We'd much rather engage with you more fully. Gathering together as a community matters. But what do we do when there are churches that try to defy this as we're living with right now with the church near Edmonton, Grace Life Church, that has defied the public declaration of being closed, that is encouraging people to gather. Uh, This Grace Life Church has uh, gone against the the health officials. Uh, It has invited dangerous gathering. It's been very arrogant and self-serving. And we say to ourselves, what do we say about this church? The sad part is that people who aren't religious look at the church and they make a mockery of church as a whole, saying that we all think this is appropriate, we all think this is okay, when in fact we know it's not, when we, in fact we know it is not a good way to move our way through this pandemic. It's especially arrogant to hear that Grace Life Church is connected to a right-wing Christian community in Southern California and calls Grace Life Church an underground church. This makes a mockery of the underground church movement. My colleague and friend, uh, Greg Latz at Knox United Church, responded this week in a letter, and I read part of his letter to you because I think it's excellent. He says, the notoriety of these churches have gained by defying public health and safety orders makes a mockery of the real underground church movement. Underground churchgoers through history have faced arrest, torture, and death for their beliefs and their practices. Grace Life Church is not an underground church. It's a case of self-congratulatory white privilege enjoying its ill-gotten celebrity with a little consequence other than the inconvenience of finding a new location to defy public health and safety orders. You see, church is about gathering and community, and when you can't, It's about saying, how can we adapt and how can we shift? It's about taking the ethic of Jesus, of loving God, neighbor, and self to new levels and in new and exciting and creative ways that are, yes, exhausting and, yes, challenging. Closing a building and finding other ways to open ourselves to serve, 
to meet others safely, to share online, to pray, to sing, and to learn together is what we are called to do. Church matters. Gathering matters when it's safe. And so this grace life experiences making a mockery of the underground church, and in fact, drawing attention to itself as though it is right, when in fact, it is completely wrong. Meeting together online as we're doing right now is not fun, but is the most faithful rate right now that we can move through this pandemic. And so as we engage in this conversation right now about the role of church and Easter people and the Emmaus story, we learn very quickly that church and God can be very separate things. We can encounter God beyond the four walls of the church. And in fact, in this text, we clearly see that they encounter the sacred along the way. And so right now, in many ways, we are being an Emmaus church. We're meeting along the way as we journey through this pandemic with a closed building and an open church. So as we gather today, let us wonder about how our faith has lived beyond these walls. I am super excited this morning to be in conversation with two friends uh, as it's the post-Easter season. And uh, the first uh, I just want to introduce quickly is uh, Brian Pearson. Brian was an Anglican priest uh, for 38 years, uh, retired a little over a year and a half ago, and he uh, hung up the collar and he also hung up the church. And we're going to hear from him in a conversation in a minute. Uh, he's a friend first, colleague second. When, uh, a couple of years ago, we used to gather once a month with a group of ecumenical friends from the Presbyterian Anglican United Church to talk about our jobs and the recent studies, et cetera. And it was, it was lifeblood for me. The other is uh, Sarah Elliott, our communications staff person. She's been around our church for seven or eight years. Uh, bright light uh, communications person. She's also known as Buddy Elliott. And so here I am with two great musicians and don't worry, I'm not gonna sing, but I'm super glad you're here. Uh, we're post Easter and you know, Brian, I was think I've been thinking about you a lot because you've created a new podcast called The Mystic Cave, which I follow. But I'm really curious that, you know, you were part of ministry for 38 years and you yeah. retired. And then I understand you kind of retired from the church. What's that like? What's been going on? Yeah, well, thanks, John. I, um, I loved my ministry uh, and I loved my work with congregations. I, so when I retired, it wasn't like a decision. It was really interesting. It wasn't like I decided I needed to step back from the church. It felt like it had already happened inwardly, that when I retired, I was done. I, and I think if I were to, the quick answer to that is why that was so, was just I found increasingly the church unhelpful uh, to my spiritual journey, and I saw it being unhelpful to the journeys of many others. So, um, yeah, I did. So I didn't abandon my faith. I still feel I have a very active uh, faith, and I'm on a spiritual journey. It just doesn't connect with the institutional church anymore. Yeah, and I think that's interesting. I mean, that happens a lot. I hear that a lot. Uh, yeah. You know, one of the reasons Sarah's in this conversation is Sarah's. Uh, She's got great questions, and she's uh, as a millennial, she sees things a little differently. When you hear Brian say that, what do you think? What does that mean for communications? What do you? What does that mean for your your faith? Yeah, well, as the resident millennial, I have a lot to say. <laughs> um, I think it's really, I think it's really uh, logical that that's 
what you're saying, Brian. And I, I don't know that many retired clergy, but the, the ones I do know um, say the exact same thing. Yeah. I think it's like, is there any clergy that retires and feels like um, not disillusioned with the institution? Yeah. So I think it's pointing to what a lot of um, leadership in churches is saying is that um, church is not, um, it's not by any means the default for young people. It's not um, a part of my friend's culture or my, my friend's lives so much. And at the same time, I think that a lot of what um, people my age are seeking for really can actually be found inside the doors of your neighborhood church. Um, not all of them, but some of them. Yeah. And I think that if the church can adapt to be relevant and to be engaging and to, you know, um, stay with the, the culture and the technology today, I think there's a huge opportunity um, for it to be actually a really relevant and um, encouraging, nurturing institution. Well, that, you know, the thing is, the technology has been what's kept Hillhurst and many churches alive during the COVID. We adapted to that. We've grown in, in our reach to people. And Brian, since uh, retirement, I know you uh, launched a podcast, uh, Mystic Cave. So technology can be our friend. Uh, it's, it's just something new, but I think it can help us in lots of ways, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think what I hear Sarah saying, if I can paraphrase, to see if I got it right, um, it's really not the institutional structure of the church that you're hopeful about, is my sense. My sense is probably you're talking about a local congregation of seekers, of people who can support each other on their spiritual journey, who have some roots in the Christian tradition. Um, because, at least, because that's what, where I see the hope. I see the hope in local congregations of real people coming together to explore their faith together, but it's at the level of institution, of denomination and all that, that I, I mean, old people my age don't even relate to that so much anymore, let alone millennials or anyone else. Right? Yeah, let me just, let's just say denominationalism is dead. I think okay. so. And I, I mean, I've, I've always had one foot in the congregation and one foot, foot in the world, quote unquote. Yeah. I've always fought uh, in a friendly way with the institution. And church isn't the only place. Let's just not jump on the church. Yeah. Yeah. All institutions government, education, healthcare, all institutions are in this big shift during COVID and we're being shaken down, shaken down and it's going to be different. So, uh, you know, not to pee on the church too much. It's never meant to be, never was right, quote unquote. I, and I don't think you put your both feet in. I think you've got to do the dance to be relevant. Yeah. All institutions are suspect at the moment. That's, that's the way we're living right now. But there's got to be some good to it like what would you what would both of you think about that like i need the church to keep it because it's diverse in lots of ways diverse opinion if nothing else yeah yeah, yeah. i i was just gonna say i think it's a good thing that our institutions are being um critiqued and deconstructed and um that for, for all of them, you know, um, something new will be rebuilt. And I think like what you're saying exactly about church, I think one of the really cool things about church that is rare um, 
in our world is a, a place for physical community. Um, I mean, it's online now too, but community that's, um, and Brian, like you were saying this in our conversation before this, that community that is not just um, my friends or my nuclear family. It's people, you know, somewhat beyond that, that I might not cross paths with otherwise. And it's people in my city um, yeah. from different walks of life. And like, as someone who's new to Calgary, you know, eight years ago or so, the church was really a place where I actually found community where I live. So this is the Easter season. And um, I think this uh, very Sunday, uh, you're hearing the reading of the Road to Emmaus, which I think has a tremendous significance for the modern church and for modern seekers, mainly because if you know the story as well, you've just heard it, um, two unnamed disciples are leaving the scene of the crime and they meet Jesus on the road. So they're on their way out into the world, back into their lives, and that's where they come upon Jesus. For me, the profundity of that is that Jesus was always pointing beyond himself in the Gospels to what he called the kingdom. We have other words for it. We use the realm of God, the kingdom. Um, but he was using the language of there is a realm in which we are in touch with our creator. We have a sense of purpose, even as co-creators. We feel empowered to be uh, active in the world in positive ways, but it was beyond him. And what the church has done for 2,000 years is to make it all about Jesus. We keep returning to the scene of the crime. We have to keep fighting theologically about what the, what the cross means and, and who, what the identity of Jesus means. I think Jesus was saying, you're going to find the kingdom out in the world. So stop coming back to church. Stop. I mean, it isn't don't go to church. It's don't make it all about church. You're going to find me out in the world. I think that's a profound Easter insight for us all. Well, they, I also, uh, I don't know if this is fact or not, but I like it. You know, they say that Emmaus is nowhere. That is, there's no, no literally a place, Emmaus. And yet Emmaus is everywhere. So it's that mm -hmm. both and. But also I like it too, because as you say, it's like they didn't go to uh, the synagogue to, they was yeah. out in the world, walking around, chewing yeah. the fat, walking uh, and engagement in the world. I mean, it's a big push for that these days that are, are our buildings relevant? Well, if you look at this story, it's like, you know, walk away from them, then you're gonna meet God yeah, um, and engage, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think that story is a, is a great reminder that we will that we encounter the sacred uh, breaking bread, uh, walking, being out in the world. That's it. That's the good thing about it. And it is an Easter story, uh, as you know. Yeah, but I I would be interested to hear from Sarah about because I think a younger generation doesn't presume that God is in the church to begin with. I think a younger generation assumes God is in the world, and um, if we go to church. It's to uh, open our eyes so we can find God where God really lives in the world. Isn't that, that would be way more common, wouldn't it, amongst your generation? I think what's even more common is um, my generation and, and Gen Z doesn't presume God at all. <laughs> um, or, um, or if they do, it's um, not seen 
as a church God. Um, and, you know, there's lots of different words and images for God. But I think what's more common in the people I know that are around my age is more of a, a spirituality. And it, it's, you know, it echoes or is rooted in the same the same in ancient religions that we learn about in church, but um, might not be, they might not know that or may not be connected in that way for them. Um, and I think what church offers is community that's, whereas sort of, you know, um, doing this individual spirituality of, you know, these really great things, mindfulness or um, meditation, you know, reading or listening to podcasts, it's kind of all, on your own. And I feel like at church, you get to do that alongside other people and alongside people of different ages, which is really special. You know, so what's, what's really interesting for me since retiring is, while I felt I had no particular need for the institutional church, I still had a need to belong somewhere and to, and to have community. So, uh, John, you mentioned off the top, so I've started a podcast, but I wanted to, to hear back from people who listened to the podcast. So to do that, I started a Facebook group and it's called, has the same name, um, The Mystic Cave, as a place to gather. And so now there's about 120 people who gather who are, and, we, and I call it, um, it's, a, it's a, a safe place, a sanctuary for seekers uh, for the spiritual journey beyond church land. Well, people want to gather. They want to gather. They want to share their stories, even if we don't know, you know, we don't all share the same language for wh whether it's God or the universe, but we need community. So, I mean, I think you're absolutely right about that, that whether it's virtual or whether it's in the flesh, we need to know that there's other, there's fellow uh, pilgrims, there's others on the way. And uh, what a great encouragement when we can touch base and just share our learning, share our part of the journey. Yeah. And I think, like, John, when you were saying that MAS is nowhere and it's everywhere, I feel like that's like church, like, you know, experiencing um, God, however you define that, inside the walls of church, like that happens on a Sunday morning. But that's not the only place that it happens. It's, it's somewhere and it's everywhere, like church or the sacred is everywhere that we go, we're never separated from it. And so, I don't know, I feel like there's something there in that Emmaus story about, um, we go to church, I feel like I go to church on Sundays to remember, to be reminded and to, to be with other people, to know there's other people on this journey. But that's an hour, on, you always say an hour on Sundays, it's not it, it's, it's what happens when you walk out the doors. I love that, yeah. I, uh, I think that's right. I think uh, the, the church is a stopping place. If you, look, if you look at the person of Jesus, he stopped in there, but he spent 90% of his time on the road, uh, on the way. So here's the thing, it's Easter. Somebody emailed me a question. They said, do I need to go to church to be an Easter person? Mm. Anybody wanna go beyond, huh? <laughs> Well, I think what's, what Sarah was saying a little earlier was, it's useful. Is it essential? I think that's, that's uh, an open question. How useful to gather with fellow seekers and other travelers? Um, so yeah, I think it's useful. Go to church if, if this puts you 
in the company of others who are sharing a journey each in their own way. Essential? I'm not sure. I'm not sure anymore about that. I think community essential. And whether it be church community or some other intentional community, I think that's important. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, I think I think we're all Easter people, um, the way I understand it. If Easter is... Um, if Easter is a symbol of this pattern of of living and dying and being renewed, I think that's just the pattern of our our lives moment to moment or um, you know there's lots of ways to look at it or year to year. but I think that's a pattern and a rhythm um, that all humans, all souls undergo. Yeah. I, you know, I would I, I'm a church guy. I'll just confess that. Here's the thing. Uh, certain churches anyway, but I, I think there's great value in what I learned uh, and grounding in the, in the temple of sorts. I'll tell you why. Here's my example of an Easter person. Uh, there's a woman in our community. She's 80. Uh, she has been told she has lung cancer and brain cancer. I pedaled my bike over to her house. I sat on the porch, looked through the window. She's laying in a bed. She's on her phone. I'm on my phone. And we have a conversation about her life and her gratitude and her love and her faith and music she loves. And she knows that she, she might have a month or she might have six months or maybe longer. We don't know. But here we are during COVID. I'm on my phone talking to her. And there's a grounding. She's the teacher. But grounding in, in gratitude and uh, community and serving that I think is a bonus that, that church uh, helps cultivate. So. I mean, she's my Easter person right now. I've got lots in my life, but she's one who I just think this woman has just lived a beautiful life, accepting her uh, mortality and her hope and promise of reunion with whatever that means. Nobody knows. Capital M, mystery beyond death. But there's some, something great about the grounding and gratitude and love and compassion that she is as a teacher. So that's an Easter person for me. What about you, I think I'd want to say that uh, that an Easter person is also someone who actually is living as if the divine is within them, and they're not waiting for it to come. I know this is this is a confusing Christian image because we're waiting for Pentecost to come, but I think Easter people are people who are willing to be adventurous about where God is calling and leading them next. And uh, someone who came to mind as you asked that question is. Um, Sarah Kerr is a is a deaf doula. Uh, so outside of any particular religious structure, she helps people die, and she helps their um, family members, you know, go through the grieving process. She is way out there, and I see her work and and talk to her about what she's doing. She is fully confident that the universe is opening in new ways, and she wants to be there. She wants to be there in a helpful role, helping uh, people to uh, to come to terms with life and death as it is specific and real to them. So that's what I, I think that's another part of being an Easter person is just the assumption or the faith that God is with me. And therefore, there are new doors to open and new paths to be explored. Nice. I'm, uh, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone a bit and say that um, I'm an Easter person. Because, <laughs> because, um, yeah, because I think for me, 
you know, I've been thinking about the Easter story. And like before Easter, I told you, John, I was like, I do not get Easter. Like every year I'm like, this story is so crazy. But I think for me, it really does come down to, it is this pattern of return and of renewal and of coming back. And, you know, as someone who um, used to go to church and now works at a church, um, I've been really, really distant from my own inner faith life from my, from my own spiritual path um, because I feel like in some ways I lost my church um, because I can't go to church anymore. I'm just in production mode. I'm in work mode. I can't just sit there and receive. I'm like, that's the wrong font <laughs> on the screen <laughs> or whatever. Like it's totally different. Um, but I've been, uh, I think with spring maybe has been part of it. I've been really coming back to to prayer and to taking morning walks and just trying to, to like kind of let go of these. Like, I just, I feel like my mind is um, this creaky old like <laughs> thing that's like slowly um, relaxing and waking up again and starting to go for walks and see, just see the divine again in the trees and my neighborhood. And it's like, Oh, this feels so good to start to feel like connected again. Um, and so, you know, we go, we move away and then we come back and move away and come back. And every time might be longer, it might be longer periods of being away or, or really brief periods of being away. But um, yeah, I think that in that way, I'm experiencing the Easter story. Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite writers said that uh, death and resurrection, or that pattern you're talking about, is what we—it's the central pattern of life. So the, so the the death, the the dormancy, the spring, the renewal is part of what we what we all live, and uh, and I think nature—we're learning so much that nature is where Jesus spent lots of time. Nature, we call the scriptures, uh, or sorry, the creation, God's body. The first scriptures are the earth. So we're, we're reconnecting and returning to that understanding of the earth as part of us. We're part of the earth. Uh, it's not separate from us. And I think that's pretty exciting, too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the theological word we're playing around with here is incarnation. Like, I think the spirit, uh, God comes to us in creation, in other and in, in people, uh, and and in creation and and that's pretty exciting to me that's why spring such an important resonation for us where we where we reconnect yeah yeah and you know just that's what i was thinking about this morning actually was um was communion and communion is also something that i've never really understood like i just i don't know i i feel like some people it's like so mind-blowing to them and you can see it's so emotional and i'm like i that's i just don't have that but maybe I'll just ask, like, is when Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, like, is that, is he saying like, what's he saying there? Is this totally off topic? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't ask, don't ask the church because the church will answer with very specific answers. Yes. Jesus meant the Eucharist and that's why you must come to mass. <laughs> um, and we've turned it into like so many things. We've turned it into a specific belief rather than uh, a wonderful mystery. I isn't it? I mean, it'd be great to think of it in terms of of uh, this is a mystery he invited us to live, even if we have no idea what the heck he's talking about. <laughs> like, which I think is sort of how we live our lives. 
with confidence that um, when we don't have the answers, when we're not clear, which is most of the time, we still have a sense of the divine with us and and carrying us forward, even within us. And if there's a if there's a seeking at all in all of us, as I think there is, the seeking isn't for answers. It's for a sense of empowerment to be the person I feel called to be and uh, and to live that out. You know, my non-church answer to that, Sarah, would be this, you know, on the, this Emmaus story, they they know who uh, Jesus is in the breaking of the bread. And, it, you know, it wasn't the Eucharist, it was the breaking of the bread. And I think that we we are different when we break bread together. People who we thought who were different, people who are our enemies. When you sit and eat with somebody, you're changed because you get their story, they get yours, and there's a remembering, a reconnecting. So leave church beside. But I, I do think that that breaking the bread is a very simple transaction, quote unquote, or sacrament that connects us and reminds us, oh, you're part of me. I'm part of you. We're one. Yeah. And uh, and that happens, you know, whether you're at Hayden Block having a beer and wings and you're sharing your life story or Tim Hortons or even, in, believe it or not, in a sanctuary when you take bread and, and cup. So eating and drinking go together. Um and I think that's how the sacred is known to us. And we're just, we remember that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very theological, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it comes back to what you're saying, that that it's all holy. Like communion in church, breaking bread at the pub down the street. Yeah. You, you can't get, you can't, um, you can't escape it in a really beautiful way. Yeah. And the church can't box in God or Jesus. Like, no. That's impossible. And be very careful of people who try to limit. Run the other direction. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Any final thoughts? You two? So great to see you. Wish we were in the flesh. I'm just really glad that uh, in this part of the world, Easter season coincides with spring. Uh, it would be a it would be a bit of uh, it would be an impediment to live in the southern hemisphere where you had to kind of imagine flowers opening. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because I think it's such a hopeful season and hopeful for all humanity, for the earth, like we're being reborn. Um, and the church is able to capture some of that in its language and theology, and that's, and that's great. But it's pointing to a larger experience. We are, we, are on, we're, we are becoming something we were intended to be with every new day. So um, very hopeful time. My final thought is, um, this sounds very evangelical but bring a friend to church <laughs> i think um i think it's 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 got its place and it can be really helpful and encouraging to people and they may, they might not think that it's for them but they may be surprised too and i would say if you can't bring a friend to church you can share this this conversation as an example yeah. i think you're totally right it's risky uh, but it's, you know, who knows? I think it's really about sharing something important to us. We share it with somebody else. Uh, you know, the word evangelical means good news. If it's good news, share it. That's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Peace out. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here, and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.